Hey, hey, everyone. Welcome to the Phil Drysdale Show. This episode, we have Glenn Graham with us. And Glenn is a Baptist pastor who um, has deconstructed a lot of uh, his faith and helps others in leadership around the UK um, in deconstructing theirs. He's also registered blind and does a lot in speaking out against ableism. He runs um, a few different, and he's heavily involved in a few different um, organizations that focus on um, raising awareness about disability within the church um, and and tackling ableism. And so I'm really looking forward to this conversation. I think it'll be a really interesting one, and I hope you enjoy it. Well, Glenn, I am really, really excited to have you on. Um, I'm really excited about this conversation. It's not a conversation that um, has been the highlight of a podcast episode before. We've had different people on that have brought it up in passing. Um, but why don't you give yourself a rough interview, uh, introduction of who you are, uh, what you're about, um, you know, where you're from, um, just so people have a rough idea of who you are. Okay. Uh, my name's Glenn Graham, um, and I'm... <laughs> Hitting the prime of my life, I'm going to be 50 at the end of the year, which is oh, wow. uh, the, the second half of my life when stuff really starts to happen. As you can see, I'm very excited about that. Yeah. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm still in the church system. I'm a, I'm a Baptist minister. I have been for about 20 years. Mm. Uh, I do all bits of spiritual directing for people, um, mainly uh, ministers who are... Uh, really shifting in their faith positions, deconstructing their faith. It's amazing mm. how many folk in ministry are, are, are going about this. They don't want, yeah. to, like me, they don't want to leave the church as such, but they they feel that uh, the faith they started with and even into <laughs> we'll get that interrupting, uh, it, the, the faith they began ministry with is not the faith that they have now. And so they just need somebody alongside them to help them realize that that's okay and mm. that you can actually get out the other side intact and with integrity. So I, so I do a bit yeah. of that. Uh, and I also, uh, it, within the, uh, the Baptist Union, uh, I advise our Baptist churches on things to do with disability. Uh, in, mm. within the churches, uh, particularly to do with attitudes. We'll come on to that later. Uh, and also chair of a network of Christian charities and churches uh, called Churches for All, which is, as it says on the tin, um, uh, a church where able-bodied and people with disabilities can work together and will work together uh, to uh, do the stuff that we've been called to do. In other words, uh, bring the love of love of Christ to uh, to everyone, and that everyone can be used in that uh, wonderful task of showing what love is. Mm. Uh, so that, that that's and so the network is about campaigning for that. Uh, I'm a North Countryman originally, uh, from the sort of Lake District part, but uh, I find myself in exile in Devon, uh, in mid Devon. <laughs> You've got uh, as far place. low as you could go there. <laughs> well, I've been lower. I've been, lower. <laughs> I've been in Wales. No, no sorry. That's, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, yeah. You, you, yeah, you can't get further. What a beautiful place to be in exile. Mm. I tell you, you know. Yeah. Well, a lot warmer, that's for sure. <laughs> oh, yes. Yeah, a lot warmer. 
So, Glenn, first of all, before we kind of dive into um, all the meat and, and, and nitty gritty of a lot, I want to I want to hear about your journey. I want to hear about your story. But I've got to ask, first and all, uh, first and foremost, because about 65, 70 percent of my audience are in America and they will hear you say, oh, I'm a Baptist ordained minister. I, I de- I've deconstructed a bit of my faith. I'm helping other ministers who are going through deconstruction. And they're going to just be scratching their head going, what are you talking about? Because um, it, it, in my experience, the, the UK and a lot of the rest of the world when compared to America is a lot less black and white in its kind of um, denominations. Uh, my dad was a Baptist pastor, so I know this. He was a Pentecostal Baptist pastor. So, you know, um, and when I say that to Americans, they're scratching their head as well. So could you maybe talk about the dynamics of, um, I don't know if you know a lot about the different dynamics of how Baptists uh, are different in well, the to America, but <laughs> could you kind of give a bit of a primer so that people kind of understand where you're coming from, that you're not necessarily a, a Southern Baptist from, you know, Kentucky or something. It's, it's going to be quite a different kind of picture okay. in their heads. Um, Okay, I mean, obviously, um, all Baptists came out of the Baptist movement in Holland. So Mm. it all starts in Amsterdam uh, during the Reformation, uh, that uh, groups of uh, uh, believers uh, gathered in coffee houses originally uh, because they felt that... uh, uh, Baptist, the, you know, uh, the, the baptizing of people by full immersion was the way to do it. Mm. They also felt that actually the, the way you run a, a group of Christians, a church of Christians, is from the bottom up. So it's a the congreg- it's a congregational style. Sure. So that was very that was that was sweeping through the sort of low countries, uh, not so much in Germany, but certainly uh, certainly in the Netherlands and one or two. Very fair, uh, British pastors went and spent some time in Holland, including one guy uh, by the name of Thomas Helwys, who uh, was the first person to he, uh, who got into trouble in the 17th century, who uh, wrote a letter to the king about religious liberty. Hmm. And uh, he wasn't a liberal by any means. He was very quite conservative in his theology. But he did say that uh, that whether you're a Turk, in other words, you meant a Muslim or an atheist or whatever you are, you've got the right to be wrong. And that mm. right should be enshrined uh, in, in religious liberty. Mm. And that set the tone, really, for uh, for Baptist life to come, where, where are people who believe in baptism, of uh, believers, who do believe in mission. But, the, but our basis, we don't have a creed. So English Baptists don't have a, don't have a set of creeds. Oh, yes, there yeah. are historic ones, but we didn't. We have what they call a declaration of principle instead, which is just sort of three statements. One is that uh, you know, it's up to you know, your baptism of believers. The other is mission to go into the world. The first one, which I think is really important, is mm. stolen absolute authority in all matters of faith and practice is through Jesus Christ as revealed in the scriptures and it's up to each local congregation under the guidance of the holy spirit to determine god's laws hmm. now that clause is quite important first of all it's making a very deliberate statement it's saying jesus not the scriptures are the hmm. final authority that distinction is being made jesus trumps the scriptures Sorry, what's off that word Trump comes up, doesn't it? If Jesus trumps the scriptures in the sense that they are his servant, they reveal him, they witness to him, they point to him, but they are not him. Mm. 
Yes. And Jesus, so Jesus is above them in terms of theology, in terms of everything. He, oh. He's the supreme, Colossians says, you know, all in all and all that. He's, he's head of the scriptures, the scriptures serve him. That's a very important thing. So in British Baptist life, it's always been very historic. It was a coming together of two, denom two distinct denominations uh, in about the 19th century. So it created a very broad church, yeah. and it always has been. And uh, so if you were looking around today in British Baptist life, for our American guys, uh, there's a Baptist denomination called the Cooperative Baptists. There's also the okay. Alliance of Baptists. We're probably more in line with those. Right. Uh, okay. The Southern Baptists, you know, even the most conservative British Baptists would be liberal to a Southern Baptist, if I'm yes. truly honest. Yeah. And of course, the Southern Baptists years ago left the, the uh, Baptist World Alliance uh, okay. just after the Iraq War, because the, the World Baptist World Alliance refused to support the Iraq War. Right. Southern Baptists oh, did support the Iraq War. And so they said, oh, stuff you. We're not going to have anything to do with any of the rest of you. And they took all their missionary money with them and starved all sorts of European Baptist unions mm. of mission funds simply on the basis of not supporting the Iraq War. Wow. So in terms of our attitude, British Baptists, it's Christ-centred, not Bible-centred in that sense. Oh. Uh, and, uh, and the interpretation is open to different congregations. So you can quite conceivably have a uh, conservative Baptist church in one town and a liberal one in the next village. And we still all come together. We all have our disagreements, but we mm. still live under this, this declaration of principle, which everybody's, which every minister signs stating that whatever happens, Jesus is the authority. Scripture mm. is Jesus servant is Jesus witness. And that's, uh, very that's, interesting. that's the basis we go on. Thank you. I, 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 my dad is a Baptist or was a Baptist pastor. He, he's long uh, moved on, but uh, from that position and, and, and uh, job and, but I didn't know that. So there we go. So I grew up in that world. I grew up in a Baptist church. My dad was a Baptist pastor and I didn't know um, the, the various uh, steps along the way that, that has caused that. But hopefully that's helped people because I found that when I went to America that most people associate that term Baptist very much with a, a maybe a couple of denominations within baptism, uh, Baptist movement, but generally speaking, Southern Baptist. And it was a shock to them for me to say, oh, yeah, my dad's a Baptist pastor and, you know, he's a charismatic. And they were they were just like flabbergasted. They couldn't put two and two together. Um, and so and I, and I understand that now, knowing that knowing what the average Southern Baptist uh, believes, I can understand why they were shocked that a Baptist pastor would be a charismatic. Um, awesome. So, so Glenn, how did you get to where you are to today then? So because um, I presume you haven't always been uh, a Baptist pastor and you haven't always been uh, in a position to, to be helping and assisting Baptists uh, or pastors and, and ministers in their um, evolving or devolving faiths. Um, so, so how did you get to where you are? Did you always grow up wanting to be a minister? Did you grow up in the church? Well, that's, a, that's a very interesting question, uh, which I did and I didn't. Um, my, my mother went to faith, came to faith. Uh, my grandmother always went to church. And so if she was looking after me, she'd take me. Mm. And I remember being fascinated by just the, the place. I can't see anything, by the way. We, perhaps we should have said that right from the start. I'm, uh, I'm totally blind. All I have mm. is day and night and night 
dark and light perception. Right. That's all I have. But I remember going into church buildings and sort of while my grandmother was tending the graves outside, there was like five or six, I'd stand in the pulpit and pretend I was delivering the, you know, <laughs> delivering the thing. So there was obviously something that fascinated me about that way of life. Yeah. That's all it was. It was just this sort of, but there must have been some sort of sense of the spiritual, mm. uh, you know, there. There was something about those sort of buildings, that sort of ethos. Mm. It just generally fascinated me. I was, I was, a, I was a, I was a sort of child that was a bit odd, very, into, very into books. Although it wasn't, mm. wasn't a useless on a sports pitch. Uh, but um, you know, my, I mean, let's put it this: I was reading philosophy when I was thirteen. You, know, you don't get wow. much more weird than that, do you? <laughs> but uh, <laughs> I was always an inquisitive child, and I always knew there was something just beyond the mere survival, the mere existence of the moment. Mm. I thought nothing of it. I went on and off to church. When I was like 13, my mother started going more off and, and uh, she had what she would call a conversion experience. She, she was a, she'd been an alcoholic wow. uh, to the point where she made us very nervous about that. And, and there, was a, there was a change in her life uh, and I went to church with her for a while, uh, which was the Church of Scotland. I lived in Edinburgh for a bit. We lived in okay, Edinburgh yeah. for a bit. Uh, and uh, but I, I thought I want to carry on going to church, but I don't want to go to her church because I want to go somewhere by myself where I have my own. Yeah, friends, right? I went teenage to the rebellion, church. right? <laughs> so right. That would be my my teenage kid. rebellion was just not going to the same church as she went to. You know, yeah, I went to a charismatic one instead. Oh, wow. And <laughs> so I, yeah, I went to this church of Scotland, which was just about hundred yards from the house, and they welcomed me and everyone else, and they they. You know, that's when the journey of faith really began. It, I remember cornering the minister and I said, right, you know, I've played in your music group. You know, I've played the clarinet and the saxophone. So mm. I've played in your music group. I've come to your things. I've sat, you know, listened to your stuff. And there's loads of us in this building, isn't there? Like, why the heck do we do it? You know, what's it all about? I mean, it's, it's a nice thing to do, but there's more to it, isn't it? Because the, these people are talking like there's more to it. Mm. And he said, yes. And he spoke to me about, you know, Jesus being a heavenly parent and, uh, and all this sort of stuff. And, uh, you know, God and Jesus seeing them, uh, all that kind of thing. And if you really want to get connected with God, repent, believe, bloody, bloody, blah. And so I, so I sort of did. I sort of did that. And um, certainly experienced something of God. So it will be. Ooh, let me think about ooh, what, uh, about ten days' time will be my thirty-fifth uh, mm. anniversary of that. Wow. So I became a follower of Jesus at a time when this particular church was going through quite a significant period of renewal. We'll call it that. Mm. Very gentle, charismatic renewal for those uh, you know. With the the pastor of this church had become very connected with uh, John and Carol Wimber. Okay. Wow. So this yeah. is this is the early days of uh, of, of Wimber in in Britain, and right. uh, you know we have these evening meetings. The sermon was given, and we'd immediately go into a time of silence, mm. and you could tell the place was just electric with the Holy Spirit. Very quiet, but we're all moved to pray and prophesy and do all this kind of kind mm. of business. It was a very gentle, non-manipulative. Uh, work having said that there was always the pressure 
those of us who had a disability to be healed, uh, mm, which was yeah. interesting. But, you know, I just went with the flow. Might it happen? Might it not happen? I don't know. Mm. Uh, so I passed all my exams and went to do my, a, you know, my advanced A-levels and everything else. Uh, and then I went to Swansea University in the early 90s uh, to do political philosophy and history. So hence I can <laughs> ramble on about all these sort of things for hours. That's why I did my degree in. Right. And I went to a Baptist church then, a very Calvinistic Baptist church, it has to be said. Right. The, the teaching was great, but I was taught to undo all my naughty, charismatic <laughs> <laughs> stuff. Uh, we, we were a very excellent Bible teaching, a fairly accepting church, uh, mm-hmm. I have to say. They, uh, they swept me up and uh, all the rest of it. Mm. And I was baptised in 91 and um, stop me if I'm going on too much. No, no, this is, this is great. It's, it's, I've so got I baptised in the morning. Coming from this, I'm making notes of things I want to go back to. Oh, I baptised in the morning, uh, in the morning. And then the evening, I can't for the life of me remember what the sermon was about. But the, the last hymn was introduced, uh, an old hymn uh, mm. called Oh Love That Will Not Let Me Go, which was written by a Church of Scotland minister called uh, George Matheson. Now, George Matheson happened to be blind. Oh, wow. And so his biography was being told uh, from the front. And as clear as anything, something in my head said, you're going to become a minister. Wow. And I'm not accustomed to hearing voices. Mm. And uh, they say, I'm gonna, you're going to become a minister. So I went back home to Edinburgh that Christmas and I met with my... Uh, Church of Scotland minister said, you know, I've, you know, I've been baptised, as you know. And I'm thinking about a call to ministry. So, but I said, do I you know, do my university degree, come and join the Church of Scotland, do I join the Baptist? He said, whatever you do, don't join the Church of Scotland. <laughs> so said, right, that's fine. You're, you're one of them. You don't endorse it. That's enough for me. That's so I joined the Baptist Church and did my bit and served them and did all sorts of fun voluntary stuff oh yes i did a degree as well in my spare time <laughs> uh, i passed that and then seen the moment to do uh, ministry so i spent a year as a sort of intern in the church and then mm. i went off to the baptist college in bristol which happens to be the oldest free church college in the world it was established in 1679 so before william of orange and all this sort of stuff yeah. way before all that probably during the time of you know, the Catholic kings, this non-conformist college was started in somebody's front room, first of all, front parlour in Bristol. And then it uh, obviously expanded. And I remember my minister sending me off and saying, well, you know, it's quite a liberal college. So what I suspect you do is just taking off what you need to learn, ignore the rest. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Try and evangelise everybody. Keep your nose clean. Uh, which is exactly what I did. Uh, I, you know, I, I don't know... I sort of developed a bit of a thick skin towards what I was being taught. Right. I did ignore it uh, and then ended up in the, I ended up getting a church, but it took years to do it. Mm. Wow. And this was my first exposure to institutionalized uh, ableism. Yeah. Because, you know, I, and I, uh, which, I, which I had an apology for, actually, I, to, to be fair. I, I did have an apology from them. 
But for uh, in your final year at college, you go on a list for vacant churches. So that was October right. ninety seven. It took until February two thousand to get placed. Wow. And I know that I was being sent, you know, duff nominations. The papers were just going in the bin unread wow. because it was assumed that somebody with a, who was blind couldn't couldn't be a minister. But years later, when I became a fully accredited minister, my area uh, the regional minister, who then became the general secretary of the Baptist Union, apologised mm. on behalf of all his colleagues in saying, "We behaved towards you appallingly." Wow. And as an institution, we treated you very badly. So I did receive I did receive an apology uh, mm. about that, which was great. And so, yes, I served three churches. I went into the first church. You make all the notes. I'll tell the story. Well, well I will read. The first church I went in as this conservative, twenty-nine-year-old know-it-all. <laughs> And I thought, right, I'm going to turn you lot. <laughs> uh, but I ended up uh, by, you know, they were a really loving crowd. They were very, very open. Mm. And they taught me that love trumps doctrine, wow. what you believe, that love gets greater results. Uh, and you know, I when I think of what I did to these poor people, when I put these poor people through, it is it's it's absolutely dreadful. But they were very gracious. Uh, uh, one guy who became, in the end, started out as one of my uh, nemesis, but then became one of my closest friends. Who, uh, oh. you know, dear, I don't know if I believe in the Trinity. Said I don't know if I believe in this and that and the other, and he pushed back at me every time. <laughs> and. Um, I, in the end, I became very grateful because despite all that pushback, I never met a more loving, generous person. Mm. I said, Hang on a minute. He believes all the wrong stuff. <laughs> but yet, yet he's more spiritual than he believes mm. all the right stuff. But because they ran out of money and it was an isolated place and I got married, <laughs> you know what happens? You double the people in the household, you double the income and you, and yeah. you need them. So I moved to a city parish in Plymouth. And it should have been, it should have been my greatest dream. Mm. Conservative church, loved scripture, loved Bible teaching, everything else. About two years in, no, actually, yeah, two years in, a spiritual crisis happened. We'll come, we'll, 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 uh, but, uh, you know, from day one, I felt as miserable as sin. Mm. <laughs> wow. I mean, I loved them. I, I, I loved the people. Uh, I can't say I loved the city much. It wasn't my I'm a country person. Maybe. Right. Yeah, me too. Uh, but... I just, but I gave them eight and a half years. This was a church wow. that was very divided amongst themselves. I gave them eight and a half years of, for whatever happens, I'm going to love you to bits, yeah. even if it kills me. And it very nearly <laughs> did kill me. So why were you so miserable going in? Well, I don't know. I'd say it was the stirring of the Lord. Yeah. <laughs> because, yeah, I, I, did, I soon discovered I didn't like the area very much. Right. Mm. That was the end of 2005. I woke up one morning in July 20, 2007. Now, I was you know, traditional conservative evangelical, doing his quiet time. Uh, do I need to explain what that is? 
No, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think most, most people have had that experience. Most folks are wounded by this concept. <laughs> a lot and of people actually, just had was, major triggering moments there. <laughs> triggering moments. That's it. It wasn't a triggering moment. I just woke up and thought, actually, this is pants. That's funny. It wasn't that it was triggered. It was like, this is boring. It was just plain mm. boring. I love it. You know, the Bible had become boring. Prayer had become boring. It all become boring, boring, boring. Uh, and I thought, what do I do about this? Mm. Anyway, I knew a friend who was a, who was a very liberal Baptist minister, but it was also very into Celtic Christianity. Right. And we were on the same committee, so I buttonholed this poor fellow. I said, you know what? I said, I'm desperate, and you're the only person who can help me. Mm. <laughs> I need a spiritual director pretty quick. And he said, well, I like you. Come <laughs> and meet with me. And he gave me a copy. Uh, so I went along. And I uh, told him my story. He said, yeah, you do need rescuing, my friend. <laughs> mm. He said, I think you'd be excited by another way. So he handed me a book called Celtic Daily Prayer, mm. which is a, a book by, have you ever come across the Northumbria community? No. Is that familiar to you? It's a, it, which I'm a member of. Uh, it's a dispersed, it's a dispersed community who live by a, a rule of life a vulnerability and availability to God and others in the Celtic tradition. So we, uh, we, uh, you know, have studied a, studied a Celtic saints a bit, a bit into all of that, a contemplative mm. prayer and uh, all that kind of stuff. And it just opened me up to a world of imagination because I was yeah. used to be a very imaginative child. And so reading this and, you know, I followed the daily office and the language was rich and it had this sort of, edge about it that says you know uncertainty is the way to go it spoke about faith as an adventure mm. it spoke about uncertainty and I thought, actually that's what i i want to be uncertain mm. <laughs> i actually want this adventure this open-ended this adventure you know i read about people like patrick and uh and, and aiden of lindisfarne and uh, uh the uh, uh what's he called iona um gone gone uh whoever uh, him uh, and uh, and uh, all these guys who uh, you know went all over the country for god you know having all these wonderful experiences of, of things and uh, you know really connecting with god mm. in a very imaginative way so i learned that i learned about how to read the bible imaginatively like uh, you know, the, the the ignatian stream i'm very into this sort of uh, contemplative stream of Sure. Christianity. I find myself in that sort of in that sort of landscape. Mm. So you know, putting yourself in the stories, imagining, you know, imagining the Bible stories, you know, yeah, in yeah. sort of meditative way, uh, you know, and and all that sort of stuff brought my prayer to life. But once oh. my prayer life had come to life, once I'd settled for the fact of I want an adventure, God takes you His word. <laughs> and one of the things that you you know when i became I, so i became i became a novice of a community and joined the north Umbria community and on the day you, you you do make vows annually i don't mind being bound to that it's a it's a loose it's a it's a very loose binding it's an intentional saying this is where my life's going to go mm. how you get there doesn't really matter but my, my you know the way i want to live my life is vulnerability and availability to God and others. And I will open myself to all sorts of things. 
Wow. Uh, so we studied the rule of life. And in the rule of life of the Northumbria community is a commitment to something called the, in, the heretical imperative. In other words, you commit yourself to being a heretic. Wow. <laughs> what it actually means is that you're open to learning from anybody. That's what the heretical imperative means. It means to be teachable enough to be open to anybody from all traditions and none. And to be hospitable to them in their ideas, in your mind, in your heart, as well as hospitality in your home. Mm. And I, I just, that, that phrase, heretical imperative, just jumped out at me because I thought, mm. well, yeah, actually, I'm on a journey here. And you commit yourself to that, to break new ground for God. Little did I know that that was going to open the floodgates to a major period of questioning everything. Original sin, I mean, of course, the Celts were traditionally Pelagian. Mm. Ugh, yeah, there you go, original goodness and all that, original blessing. <laughs> so I looked at that. I looked at, you know, all these, all sort of the major pillars of things started to crumble. Wow. Because I really started looking at my Baptist roots and saying, right, if you believe that Jesus is the sole and absolute authority of everything, what does that mean when you've been saying all these years you think scripture is the sole and absolute authority? Yeah. So first of all, I had to realize what I meant by scripture. What does scripture mm. mean to me? And I came to the conclusion that uh, you know scripture is the is, is is certainly divine it is also it is it is also human mm-hmm. i was very influenced by Karl barth anyway uh right. latterly uh you know that the word becomes the word through the inspiration of the spirit uh that's his idea uh really boiled down that as the, as the, as the word is opened up and and, and spoken and re- it happens something happens to it uh, through all sorts of other means, uh, and it's it is it is a chronicle of people groping after the, how do we understand this thing called God? Yeah, it's a book about how people get it wrong and how people get it right, mm. and how people understand it. And God sweeps that up into a, into this book that says, right, here's here's a sort of roadmap for you to go. But it's a sort of map you can do something with. Yeah. You know, like in some sort of some sort of quest, you can take the map, but let the map lead you to where the map will and where you want to go. Mm. So, you know, for me, scripture became this this living adventure book, this story of liberation. Mm. But it told the story from winners and losers' points of view. It's from good and bad. It, it, yeah. it, it, it wasn't to be taken flatly. It was to be taken as it was. Yeah. As it How was. did you find that journey? Like for for a lot of people, that's a I mean that's a huge shift for most Christians to kind of go from that position to the other. And and probably for a lot of people, it's not an overnight change. It's it's kind of a gradual kind of whittling away and reevaluating. But on an emotional level, how did you process that? Was that quite a hard process? Was that quite hard for you to accept? Or was you quite excited about it? No, I was excited by it because I did not like the notion. You see, you, you, you imbibe things, you take things in, mm-hmm. in church life. 
and you accept it, but you sometimes bypass bits of yourself while you're doing so. Mm. There's bits of yourself that you suppress, but you don't realize that you suppress it. You know, like somewhere along the line, I, as I say, I was very imaginative. You know, I'd, I'd make up stories and tell people stories when I was a, when I was a child. Bore people to death. Uh, mm-hmm. you know, that was something that was completely natural to me. I didn't, I wasn't taught it. It was just something I did. So there was always that sort of sense of <laughs> being in another world. Uh, you know, the idea that this thing was just like rules or a code of living or whatever, mm. or a collection of beliefs. And it's, it's, taken, it's taken me a long time to discover the bits I bypassed. So in other words, initially it was excitement. Yes, this isn't, you know, this Bible actually opens me up to all sorts of adventures and all sorts of, all sorts of uh, wonderful possibilities. Yeah. But what I've only just recently realized is that even during my conservative days, you know, dotting every I and, and I was, I remember a friend and I um, nearly got arrested in Birmingham outside a Kenneth Copeland uh, event, trying to oh, wow. stop folk going in. I hated the prosperity gospel. Wow. But uh, anyway, where was I? You, you, you baptize, you, you, you bypassing everything. I, you know, even during my, during my uh, doctrinaire days, mm. I only did it because I wanted close union. Right. It's only taken me till about 18 months ago to realise that actually everything I did, I suppose that's, a, that's the reconstruction part, isn't it? Mm. You don't realise it at the time. Maybe, you sh- maybe you're not meant to. I don't know. But I think the first seeds of reconstruction was I realised that everything I did, I'd, when I got beyond the cringing part, how could I possibly believe that? And the anger yeah, yeah. and the anger. I think I realised I was coming out the other side and I realised that actually everything I did, the motive was was union mm. with God and get as much of God's love energy in to get to, to flow it out. Mm. So that was always the, you know, that was always the intention. I, you know, I went about it the wrong way. I thought I could earn it. <laughs> you know, yeah. you teach about grace, but you don't live out grace, and you got that sort of separation, that divide in your heart. Mm. But I realised actually that the core thing that that had held it all together was a desire for for intimacy, in order mm. to flow it out to other people. So, that, so you know, so yes, it was excitement, but yet, as I say, you bypass parts of yeah. yourself. But once the scriptures had started to become exciting, I then remembered that there were other ways to look at other things. I did remember the stuff I'd been taught and been in my right. college year. So once I started reading John's Gospel and the Sermon on the Mount, particularly, mm. once I started reading the scriptures through a lens of, if it looks like Jesus, it's right. If it doesn't bin it, mm. then things like, an angry God needing to be appeased by the honour killing of his own son, if that isn't putting it too strongly. No, I think that sums up a lot of people's theology pretty well. (laughs) (laughs) Can't be consistent. It might be there. I think you can tweak it to to something something towards what a a mystical writer called 
Charles Williams. Have you ever come across Charles Williams? No, I haven't, no. He's the Forgotten Inkling. Uh, the Inkling Society, Tolkien and, uh, and Lewis. Uh, there was also Charles Williams. Charles Williams was mainly a poet, but he was a mystic. Uh, and he spoke about substitutionary love. Uh, where you still have a substitutionary aspect of it, but it was it was it was a willing thing. Jesus willingly offered himself as the forgiving victim, mm. or however how we want to frame it. Uh, I, I, it. It's to carry a burden that others don't need to carry, but we could share in. Mm. Uh, uh, so we still have it. You still could get that substitution bit. But it wasn't to appease something because no, and um, I was told a story by a rabbi recently uh, that he'd been at a meeting where uh, the story of Isaac uh, being sacrificed by Abraham mm. came up. And, uh, you know, they came up with about all this sort of stuff of, you know, it was noble Isaac was offered so that, you know, so that. Uh, as a foretaste of Jesus. And this rabbi said, I had to say no. In our tradition, no one can offer the life of another. Mm. Just to be willingly offered. Yeah. So actually that Ren raises questions. Did Isaac willingly volunteer himself? Mm. Maybe yeah. that's, a, well, that's an interesting question. Don't know the answer to that. Yeah. Just leave that one hanging. Yeah. But if that's the case, and in some rabbinic traditions that is the case, then the father couldn't offer his son, the son had to offer. Yeah. See, this is what I mean by this, this is a substitute. So, so you know, there is an aspect of that in it, but it's, it's love that's being substituted. Yeah, that's but, beautiful. Yeah. I've, I've heard it said um, about Isaac. I, I've heard quite a few um, scholars say that Isaac probably would have been at the earliest, maybe like late twen- uh, early 20s, right through to the, yeah. maybe mid to late 30s. And you think about, Abraham at that time being well gone a hundred. Um, and yes. you, you can't hear the story with those two dates in mind without thinking, ah, Isaac had to be on some level kind of a willing participant in this, right? Cause I don't see a 20 something year old getting overpowered by a 115 year old or, you know, like it just doesn't seem a likely dynamic. Um, no. And so, but then, yeah, you have that picture of, of well, father and, and son, working together in some sort of dynamic. If it is a picture of Jesus, it's, it's a different picture than father tricking son into being slain for, you know, like what, what a, a very twisted way to perceive it. Um, and it's very untrinitarian. Yeah. Very much so. It's, yeah. <laughs> so if you then, then you've got to look at the Trinity in a new way, you see. Mm. So if you've got the father and the son working, then you've got the flow between father, son and spirit. I love the picture of the Rublev. We're going back to Abraham again. The, the Rublev icon uh, of, of, uh, of the strangers beckoning Abraham into the circle. Yes. The encircling mm. presence of their, of, of their presence as perhaps maybe the Trinity inviting, inviting Abraham into its essence mm. and therefore the Trinity inviting us into its essence. Yeah. Into the very essence of God, the stuff of 
godiness it's mm. it's truly wonderful so you know then you see you start to see the trinity in a very vibrant light and then you see your whatever salvation is liberation let's call it liberation yeah. your liberation becomes something then very different because you're not just saved for heaven you participate in the substance mm. of this yeah. divine flow and then you start thinking, and what about heaven and hell? And then you've got to come to the conclusion, well, if God behaves, doesn't behave in these other areas, why would he behave in that area? The Santa Claus God is checking his list twice. <laughs> knows who's naughty and nice. He knows when you've been weak. You know, Santa Claus is coming into town. is the most powerful <laughs> Yeah. Song about what people's beliefs are, isn't it? You know, if, you, then another inconsistency comes. So you end up, well, I've even got to believe in a schizoid God who is mm. divided. But then that's not Trinitarian. Yeah. So if God is Trinity, and I think I think that's the most beautiful picture there is. I can't, I will not get rid of it. can't get rid of that. If God is truly Trinity, if you, that's such a strong Celtic vibe too. Mm. Uh, if God is Trinity, then all of Trinity is goodness, all of Trinity is life giving, uh, and therefore all in all must believe, must be all in all. So I end up in this position now where my faith is very different, but this is all going on in a conservative church. Yeah, I was going to say, how, how how did you go about navigating this as the as the leader of a church? Um, I mean, even if it wasn't in a conservative church, I mean, a lot of churches still would struggle with such a shift in change in their leader. Um, preach on the gospels. How did, how, yeah, how, how did you preach go through? That? You just went through, through the gospels. <laughs> just, preach, just preach Jesus, man. And, and when I came here, this church is a is a, is a much more rural church. Uh, there. Mm. Uh, Loving, loving folk, uh, lovely folk, very uncomplicated faith. I took them for the Sunday school materials for the first four, three, four years, went literally through the Bible, modeling how you read it through Jesus' lenses. Mm. Uh, you, know, uh, uh, you know, yeah, you got the history, but in the end, you got to read it through the Jesus lens. Yeah. So, how do we get here? How do we get Jesus into this? And uh, so I did it through doing it. It's sort of like uh, exercising my demons, so to speak, was actually <laughs> doing that series. Uh, uh, was actually, you know, playing it out before them. Uh, so that was that was a way of doing it. That was the mm. way of doing it. Yeah, going to a new church and modeling, uh, yeah. holding a way of reading the scriptures. Wow. Gosh, that's quite the journey. Uh, it's quite the journey, mm. <laughs> mm. and it it feels like um, you sound a little like even when you were saying I'm reading philosophy at thirteen as a kid. Now I'll put my hand up and say I wasn't reading philosophy at thirteen by any means, but I, I've always been someone that likes to have a bit of an existential crisis. If I can find one, I'll, I'll hunt it out. I'll, I'll hunt out a new idea or a new thing. That oh yes, I'm like that. And yeah, um, and yeah. I do think people that are like that tend to navigate a deconstruction a lot easier. Um, it's still not necessarily easy, um, but I think it's it's at least on the existential level a little bit easier to navigate because that's something yeah. that often we enjoy. 
Um, there I think is, we, however... we, we lose, you know, for, for, for some people, it's a two-edged sword. You've got the relationships you lose mm-hmm. and you've got the, the things that you believe that you lose. Yeah. If you're an adventurer, which, of course, I woke up to the fact that I was, actually losing things and gaining things, you've actually got to stop yourself doing it. <laughs> There's almost a temptation to just seek new things. You've got to watch that. But you don't have the investment. The stuff was precious, but you could get rid of it. It's, 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 yeah. it's easy enough to get rid of. You know, you yeah. really, but, you, but the relationships that you invested in, mm. they're still costly. Yeah, I, I, can, can we can we start? Uh, can we almost rewind for quite early and then maybe work through a few different things? There's a couple of things that you said that I'm like, oh, I'm just so fascinated. Um, so I was very involved in um, the charismatic church for many years. I was involved in in the church uh, in different church leaderships. I traveled and spoke in well over probably four or five hundred charismatic churches over a few years. Um, so very involved in the charismatic church um, and. In my experience, not every charismatic church is as active in their beliefs as as others, but it's become even more popular today for people to be really very, uh, quote unquote, activated in their beliefs. You go and heal the sick. You go and prophesy. Everyone can prophesy. Everyone can heal the sick. Everyone can speak in tongues. You know, that kind of like it's not just for the people up on the stage. It's everyone. Um but what was it like? So, so for me, I've seen friends with different disabilities. Uh, one I can think of in particular um, has hearing aids. It's a very visual, uh, obvious signpost. You know, it's like walking into a building with a cast on or something. You know, like it's, it's very. Everyone immediately knows. Oh, this person has a disability, um, and the temptation was for people around them to automatically go. Well, this is my opportunity to be a good Christian. I'll go and lay hands on them pray for them. Often people didn't even ask. They would, you know, some people would lick their finger and stick it in his ear because, well, I mean, Jesus did that, right? Or, you know, I don't know how the the connections that people make as as far as what we look at as consent and things. Um, But what was your experience? Um, Obviously, this is one of your first experiences in church, one of your earliest experiences in church. Um, And I don't know what the charismatic church was like back then in the Church of Scotland. I'm sure everyone was quite unique. But what was your experience as a blind person in an atmosphere where people were constantly seeking healing? And how did you process that um, on an internal level? Like what did that, that teach you? Um, maybe even subconsciously, maybe not people were explicitly teaching, but, but what, what was going on? Did, I guess I'm, I'm asking a question that's got about 12 different branches to it. <laughs> um, but can you talk yeah, a bit about that? Day, in those early days, it wasn't so much a problem hmm. in that, healing was in the background but it wasn't the major thing right so on a week by week basis no it wasn't an issue uh, to be fair it was only years later really when i started you know when i started when i went to baptist college and various things uh, you know i'd go to other people's charismatic churches mm. and that's when it became that is really when it became an issue uh, yeah, I've had spit in my eyes. I've had the attempts to exercise a demon of blindness out of it. Right. <laughs> uh, wow. Unwarranted prayer, uh, you know, breathing, blowing, all sorts of all sorts of circles of people, all with their hands around you, mm. almost pushing you down with a heavy weight, uh, knowing. They have got expectations 
of me. Yeah. What's going to happen? Uh, and nothing mm. did. Knowing I couldn't care less one way or the other. <laughs> right. So it started out, oh, yeah, right. well, it's just whatever, horses for courses. Until you start getting the pushback, well, it's not, it's, it's your fault. You're not walking in it. Mm. Wow. You know, you, you, there's something you must be doing to stop that, mm. to stop that happening. And uh, so, oh, it's my fault, is it? Mm. That then got ramped up when I visited a place uh, where, uh, uh, with a friend, and you know, we were praying. You know, obviously, the word going to be, I knew, I knew somebody was going to pounce. What I wasn't expecting was uh, the person running in a meeting. They say, well, you're, you're going into ministry. Well, of course, you know you can't. Wow. I said, why? Because in Leviticus, it says. Oh, my God. About the imperfection of blind priests. So you will be cursing the congregation. Wow. Everywhere you go. You will be a curse. That ain't good news. <laughs> yeah, that's, you know, that's a twist good. of the gospel, that's for sure. <laughs> but wow. somewhere in that moment, you think, is he right? Mm, wow. Because that person's older than me. And of course, my brain, you get a grip, Graham, you know, <laughs> total rubbish. But in that moment, you thought, what? You know, am I really that disgusting? <laughs> am I really that contagious? Am I really going to give somebody something or other? Am I really going to be that devastating to a group of people? And then you're up to that world of, well, if it isn't you that's caused it, it might be your parents who've caused it, and it might be demons that have caused it. Yeah, and that would just keep reappearing. I mean, I in my first church, I had somebody who offered to help us as an evangelist who befriended me. And then, uh, who, who, but who was so caught, so caught up in demonology, every malfunction was to do with a demon. Mm. So, <laughs> you know, I, I always seem to attract these people who, who attracted these people who wanted. To me, to be their experiment. Yeah, gosh. Wow. You know, and so you, you become, uh, you, then you, then you, so work on you. Did you do start wondering what's lurking somewhere? Mm. So what started with about the eyes and things starts out other things, you know? Mm. <laughs> um, uh, other character traits, is, is that caused by that? Well, it's depression caused by demons. Mm. They get in your head and all your mind, you know very well. Mm. But you become divided. They divide you. <laughs> that's how, that's the sort of subtlety that these folk that can do it in such a gentle way. They divide your person. Yeah. Did you, did you find in these kind of environments, 
and I don't know, obviously, I don't know that all the, the hosts of the different types of people that spoke to you and, and different what uh, situations they were in. Um, but I, I, to draw a parallel, and it's probably not the best parallel, but I, I know um, growing up, for example, as a teenager, now I'm a, I'm a male <laughs> and I'm a teenager and I'm in the church. We all know what every single youth group was about. It was about porn, uh, masturbation, lust, you know, it's just constant. It was all that the, all that the leaders ever taught me or talked about. Um, and it was consistently hammered in. Well, if you look at women with lusters, you've got an evil thing going on, or, you know, there's something deeply wrong with you deep down or, and, yes. and, and I'm not saying that there are not very unhealthy expressions of one's sexual uh, libido. Um, there are, um, but generally speaking, a teenager just has a very high sexual libido. Yeah. Um, and, and what that did was it internalized a lot of, um, it made me do some deep introspection where I probably wouldn't have done. Maybe that might be a good thing sometimes to do some introspection, but it made me dig up stuff I don't even think was there at times. And I, and I started to find things that, but, but I think the biggest narrative, so my point in saying this is, is this is my only kind of, um, I think it's the only way I can kind of um, say I've had a, an experience in the same vein. I mean, it's really not, but you understand that I'm grasping at straws to experience something similar. Um, mm. What's mm. interesting to me was I think the biggest thing that I found hard about that was there was no one ever stood up and said, hey, Phil, it's normal to have a sex drive. Don't let that eat, eat away at you. Um, were, were there advocates in these experiences that you had? Um, where people almost um, demonized, well, well, literally demonized um, your your disability, were there advocates that said, hey, listen, man, that, that's not because you've got a secret sin. That's not because you don't have enough faith. Yeah. Did, there were, you did have that? Yeah, I did. Okay, yeah, good. Okay. Yeah, Mind you, it's, it's interesting. I'll, 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 you can always edit this out. Uh, going down another sideline, it's amazing how many folks ask you as a blind person, how do you do it, sex? do you have a do you have a sex drive you know because wow. you can't see you, you surely won't have the same degree at lusts and things i said well i know what a pretty woman sounds like i've got an imagination put two and two together you'll get the same answer you know it's yeah. it's amazing the sort of myths that uh, I go around and you've you've just brought one one to mind <laughs> yeah no it, it is i i tell you i, I complete uh, r rabbit trail down here now but i remember about three years ago i, I often frequent um reddit it's a website on the internet um and uh they had a they have a ask me anything every now and again someone will come on and say i'm a i don't know a fire marshal that works in 9 11 and went up the two towers ask me anything and they answer people's questions and one time someone came on and said I'm legally blind, ask me anything. And one of the questions were things like, oh, can you have sex? Or how are you even using this website? You know, and things like that. Um, and, and I was astonished at how ignorant I was or how many things I, I had assumed that were totally um, wrong, you know, th things like that. And so someone was like, well, do you watch porn or things like that? And they went, well, visually that's, <laughs> you know, porn, porn soundtracks are not made for the blind, believe it or not. But, you know, and, and he went into the different details of what were uh, stimulating. And I was like, well, of course, actually, of course, things like smell or sound or, you know, we're, we're a very complex thing. And, and I guess everything we find um, stimulating is, is contextual anyway. You know, you go into a different culture and they might not even find the things that we find visually uh, stimulating to be the same visual yeah. things, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, it, it fascinates me. It fascinates me when we're not exposed to these worlds, we don't think about them.
I think that's the big thing. And that's kind of understandable. You can't think about every single thing on the planet. Um, but it, it, it causes quite, a lot of problems. I'm finding this quite a challenge at the moment with the whole business of George Floyd. Right. I'm in the middle of reading a book and I can't remember who it's by. I couldn't pronounce it if I did, called Me and White Supremacy. Okay. And it's a 28-day <coughs> study, even Bible study on racism. Mm. And it takes you, she, she is from a Muslim background and from East Africa. And it, it takes you into her world. And it, it's, I mean, I've only just done day one, you know. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> uh, we're doing it as a, gr a group, us are doing it as a group. And uh, it's a, you're just entering the world of another. It's a very mm. uncomfortable place to be. Yeah, and what you need is the other person to give you the room mm. to make errors. So when it comes to the disability world, you know, folk wanting to enter that world, as I want folk to do, I want people to enter that world knowing they're going to make mistakes, yeah. being comfortable making mistakes. So creating this the environment where they can be safe and say the in politically incorrect things. And yet being teachable enough to say, well, actually, this is not right because yeah. of something or other. So it is hard to, isn't it, to inhabit yeah. the world of another. But we must. Mm. If we're going to grow as individuals, we need to inhabit a variety of worlds simultaneously. Yeah. No, absolutely. It, so something I find um, interesting is there's a lot of areas in which um, racism is probably a great example where... Um, if you look across, uh, I mean, America's on the on the grand stage right now. I'm reading a fantastic book called um, uh, what is it called? <laughs> it's called Black and British. Um, it's I'm, I'm listening to it actually on audiobook, and it's 25 hours long. It is in depth, and it goes through the whole history of it. But America's on the on the main stage right now, so maybe it's an interesting place to look at because it's a place of such extremes and such dualisms. Um, mm. But what's fascinating to me when we talk about racism is in the American culture it feels that the most um uh, outspoken in their christianity are on the wrong side of this conversation um and and it feels that um for some reason there's something about christianity and maybe it is the 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 idolatry of biblicism of, of, of the bible being the word you know it, it holds people back because it's rooted in a in a backwards time in, in a previous time um yeah and i don't know if that's entirely what it is or even part of what it is but i wonder do you have any thoughts on the differences that you've faced with ableism with um with uh, yeah, I, I'm just going to elaborate a little ableism, really. Uh, we, we, problems with um, being someone with a disability in the church that is quite different to being someone with a disability in the, the average day-to-day -day culture in Britain where you are. It, are those two different worlds to you, or is or are they largely intermingled and not much different? Oh, that's a good question. There intermingled yet different would be a very good description uh, 
what I find with the church, I mean, it, it, it depends on generations. I mean, it's such a mm. complex onion when you start to unpeel it. What do, what do you even mean by disability? Yeah. And there are two major ways of understanding it. Uh, one is purely on the medical ground. So-and-so has a disease or an illness or a malfunction or whatever you want to call it that either must be cured or managed. So that's called the medical model. Right. You cure, you fix, you manage. They're the sort of the key uh, things that you, you do to this presenting problem. The social model is actually disability is not so much about the malfunction, disease, etc. It's about the fact that institutions, societies and others have denied you equality or privilege. Mm. It's society that's caused disability right now obviously people of certain generations will be very medically modeled fixed those who are sort of younger than me are becoming more aware of the fact that it's society that's causing the problem mm. but the church operates you know the latest theological thinking amongst academics will take about 50 years to catch on in the church Mm. so they, they reckon and it's the same with the world the, the church is always on lag so the church is yeah. still very much medically modeled mm. so a disability is something to be managed or cured or fixed in right. some way so you have to solve the problem by either healing the person yeah which God may or may not do, but then you're then you're then you're raised in a huge theological issue that you're implying that the person is imperfect to start with. Yeah, huge can of worms. So to heal somebody, particularly somebody who has been born with something, you are in effect saying this person was not fully human until the point of healing. Mm. At least that, wow. that's how it comes across to me. That's how it came across to me when I started thinking through this stuff. You're saying somebody's less than a human unless they're mended or cured. Of course, assuming that that doesn't work, then you've got to somehow manage the situation by putting in the right bits and pieces. Now, there's nothing Mm. wrong with that, but you are merely managing one half of the coin. The other half of the coin is the fact that your and this is where the church still aren't getting it that there's something within the mechanics of church the organization of church flowing out of this medical understanding that then disables you twice because it then says well because we can't you know we're managing you and you can't be fixed or mended managing you's enough if we can manage you and you get some sort of benefit that makes you feel better, that's okay. We we fulfilled our obligations. Wow. Where in actual fact you're thinking, no, you haven't fulfilled my obligations because I want to participate in society. Yeah. Just the same as someone else. Now the bridge, of course, between those things is is what, what you could call a relational model which sees everybody in the church as friends. Friendship is a very strong word. 
we are friends of Jesus. We are friends of one another. Mm. The the the, the friend, you know, rather than leader and led. <laughs> you see, even all that language, leader yeah. in charge, led, not in charge. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> leaders are perfect. There's all sorts of unintended fallout. If we're a society of friends, to borrow the Quaker mm. name, and yeah, I think at heart I actually am a Quaker. But <laughs> an Anabaptist Quaker. Uh, <laughs> if we, had, if the church really took itself seriously as a society of friends, literally, mm. then everybody would be on equal terms because friendship's the goal. Yeah. Friendship with God, friendship with others. And I think we have to almost start thinking of. <laughs> And there's still a lot of imagining that I need to do. And other than what actually does that look like? Mm-hmm. But you can see how. Uh, so the difference is in answering your question is that the the world is has problems, and because because of austerity, and mm-hmm. because of now COVID. The problem that has been emerging in the last eight years that had gone silent during the 90s, but it's re-emerged, you know, like racism hasn't gone away, but it's re-emerged, mm-hmm. is the vilification of disabled people. So, you know, with austerity, it soon became, well, you are the cause, you're scroungers. Mm-hmm. You're the scroungers that are taking the taxpayers' money. You're the scroungers that do this and the other. Yeah. Uh, and so you become the other again yeah. even if and then somebody you know you, you defend yourself and you say you're working and say ah oh, you must get support for that so you're the people who are taking support. you can't win you actually no. can't win so the world is starting again to where it hadn't for a while hmm. it's starting again to um, be a bit more it's not such a great place as it was in some yeah. respect. Yeah. And I think the same is going to be true with COVID. I won't be able to keep the two dis- metres distance. I haven't yeah. literally been on the end of my drive for 109 days now. Wow. I'll make my first foray in a week. Will folk respect that I can't respect their distance? I'll, yeah. you know, will, will people be nasty? And already I know that in some parts of it, Britain, people, blind and deaf people, are being bullied and and, yeah. and and hate crime because they're not keeping distance. Wow. The church, however, mm. has carried on doing its 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 thing in a very nice way. The best of them provide things for you to manage you. There are good practice stories, of course, sir, and I think they're getting more of them. Yeah. But they're still underlying this fact that you are somebody to be managed, somebody to be mended or fixed yeah. rather than somebody who's in partnership but then that then raises the theology of the church they see god as managing their sin they see yeah. god as mending them <laughs> so often yeah. or fixing them or managing them <laughs> you know and then the idea that we are co-partners with god I mean, you know look at the vine and the branches mm. actually Goods of vine without branches. Yeah, vine can do nothing. Never mind the never mind the branches can do nothing <laughs> without the vine. The vine can do 
diddly squat without the branches. Yeah. I mean, when yeah. you think of it that way. So they've, they've yet to learn the sort of, if, if you haven't learned, if you're not modeling partner, no wonder the churches don't get it because I do take sessions on disability equality. Mm. I take them in a particular way. I always start with the who is God question. I say, where we're starting to get this wrong, where we get things wrong in every ism, whether it's homophobia, whether it's, uh, whether it's uh, gender, whether it's race, we're getting it wrong as who we think God is. Because if you mm. think God is this male superman, perfectly minded, perfectly rippling muscles, yeah. Sound of mind, everything else. If you see God in that way and you see perfection as falling be below that, you will not then treat other people equally because you're treating God in a very strange, twisted way. Yeah. So I try and untwist their picture of God. And yeah. I use these models of disability actually to do it because, you know, as so I say, you know, you, you know you're in church. You know, so ministers are managing your behavior and discipling you and programming you to fix you, to, mm. to get you to this prototype, what being super Christian, <laughs> that perfect Christian who's the member of the church, who's this, that, and the other. Whether they're realizing or not, that's what they're doing. They're, they're, they're medically yeah. modeling you. You're a six in a... <laughs> so are they. So, so are we as leaders. But, you know, mm. hey, we've had the training where we're guiding you. We're... Mm. GPs get sick too, but we're GPs. We're doing the GP stuff, <laughs> actually. But we've lost the whole partnership thing. Body of Christ. Yeah. We've got the idea of the body as being a skeleton <laughs> with all its bits, but we haven't got the idea of body as a body of people is a group of people, a partnership of people. So you use the word body differently. Yeah. It's a collective. Mm. We don't often teach about to collect what we do in terms of gifts. Oh, there's another issue, but never mind, you know. <laughs> that's another us and them, isn't it? Uh, once you've got God so other and we're... It, 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 so you untangle that mess. Mm. And then you start working on the disabled issue. <laughs> yeah, yes. yeah. I can see it's, it's very... I guess it goes right back to this kind of... Um, the kind of platonic kind of concept of the the perfect that we've fallen from. And so anything that isn't perfect is fallen. Um, that kind of like Greco kind of um, duality that is, that is kind of crept into Judeo-Christian faith, really. I don't, I don't see it at its origin necessarily. I, I see it present and I see it around in the, in the story, but I don't, I, when you read through the, the, the Jewish kind of, um, uh, story it's not necessarily required um, it's certainly not necessarily there in the, in the story of Adam and Eve even um, and, and no. yeah I just I, I do wonder if it's possible to to get beyond that without letting go of that belief that belief that well there is the perfect standard and anything that is below it and I see you having autism as below it or you being deaf or blind or you, that's below the perfect standard. Perfect standard would be you could see properly and you can hear properly and you can think properly and whatever properly, right? I mean, as defined by um, 
you know, whoever is in power, I guess, ultimately, or whoever the majority and um, powerful are. But I don't see, it, it feels like that's a very big hurdle for the church to overcome without getting past that concept of this. I don't think you can do it, I don't think you can do it fully, no. Yeah. I mean, other, other disabled Christians would disagree with me. And, mm. you know, within my, within my, within the Baptist group, there's quite a bit of disagreement. It's about, you know, if as long as we model, if we model something different, then things will change. I've been very convinced because I look at it in my own life. I only... I, I entered this disability thing very reluctantly nine years ago. Uh, right. I was asked to, to take this on. And most of my life, disability has been a background thing. I would have been much happier <laughs> doing something about race or gender inequality or something like that. I've always had a keen sense of justice and injustice. Sure. But I thought I was doing okay, you know, and all the rest of it. But as I've been dragged into this thing, I've become absolutely convinced the one thing my college principal, he taught me a lot of things and bless him, I've repented of the things I've ignored and he's a dear friend. But the one thing he taught us was that your image of God determines absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. Every practice, every belief stems from what sort of God you believe in. Yeah. Every pastoral issue will have its practical outcomes. Of course it will. It needs you know, practical techniques, practical therapies. But it won't all come together until you dethrone Zeus and yeah. replace him with Jesus. Mm. And it didn't work. You know, that's, what, that's what worked for me. That's how I've become comfortable and i am very comfortable in my own skin but it's taken me 48 and a year half years to do it mm. and i'd done all the i you know i know my identity and all the rest of in christ and that but what had to really start that what I had to bring it together was to dethrone what my thought god was and mm. see the real god and the rest of it then started to work yeah, I, I can see that. I, I, I think that's absolutely huge. And, and we see that in, you know, I, I had a guy called Kevin Miller on, um, oh gosh, a few months ago now. And, and he just brought out a documentary. He's a documentary filmmaker. And he brought a documentary. The name is fantastic. It's called J-E-S-U-S-A. Um, and it's about the conflation of um, American nationalism and violence with the Christian message. Um, and, and we talked about this concept in that, you will not be able to remove um, this using violence for a, a righteous cause until you lose the concept of a God who will use violence unto a righteous yes. end. Um, and, and it's my, it seems very similar. Like you can't yeah. until you can get rid of these very fundamental notions that, that, that yeah. if it's okay for God and who are we supposed mm -hmm. to be in the image of who are we supposed to be replicating? Who are we supposed to be like? Well, surely we're trying to become more like this God. But the problem is if the picture of God we're trying to become more like is uh, racist or violent or uh, ableist, then we have some serious issues. Cause, and, and my mentor yeah. through that sort of process was a guy called Michael Harden. Mm, yes, I love Michael. He's a good friend. Uh, who's got a new book out, if I can plug? <laughs> Knowing it's God. It's fantastic, yeah. 
it's a it's a great book and about if 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 your American audience really want to get a handle on and that's not the J.I. Packer version I must say uh, <laughs> it, 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 a real handle on American evangelicalism and I think we do well to read it in this country. Mm. Uh, Knowing God by Michael Harden is something you must buy, uh, particularly in the, in the state that that we're all in at the moment over there. A cheap plug, but it's he nice, helped me to good. see the connections between violence, between our innate desire to other. It mm. is is you know it you know more or less doesn't quite it's much more sophisticated, but we. You know, we we suck rivalry off our mother's breast, you know, sort of thing, don't we? We, it's somehow in our mother's milk. There is this, but bias is somehow built into us somewhere. Now it can work for us, and it can work against us. But there's something about that built in us that sort of, you know, it, it's there, and, and it just and it just needs all sorts of things to feed it. But this this whole othering thing, and it does come from. If if a god others you, then of course you love a you. You love other other people. Yeah. yeah. So you know he helped the him and his writing and lectures and carry on uh, helped me through uh, an awful lot of that sort of process. And what well, with him and mysticism, they they they've yeah. been the sort of things that have really really been the props that have yeah. enabled the new structure to emerge. And it, of course, it feeds then into the disability stuff yeah. you know about perfection um yeah. uh, and about you know the bible as this savage text towards people with disabilities i mean that leviticus passage yeah you say it you can't argue you cannot argue it's there but you've got to interpret you know you've got to interpret that away yeah very easily uh, but there's other things you know other things the bible raises yeah why were all these people had to be healed first before they yeah, followed you? Yeah. Well, that's one of the questions I'd like to ask Jesus. Why did you have to heal them first? So, thank you. Yeah. Yes. It's it's um it's in my understanding, and I, again, I'm not I'm not hugely exposed. I I work from home, and I, I talk to disabled people online or something. Like that, but I'm not. I don't go to a church anymore, and so um you know I've got a, a small set of group of friends. A couple have um disabilities to, to probably quite minor degrees in the way that it affects their day-to-day living. Um, and my family, I have um, some disability in that, but it's not a world I'm, I'm hugely immersed in um, and have to work or, or, or spend time with people that have disabilities very often. Um, I'm trying to think why I started this train of thought. Um, but it, it seems to me that, there's a general, like you mentioned the generational element of how um, maybe the younger generation is starting to kind of catch up with some of the newer academic thought of maybe the social kind of constructs of, of mm. disability um, as opposed to the medical constructs. Yes. Do, do you think, um, oh yeah, this is what I was going to say. Sorry. Uh, so, so the, the few disabled people I know or people that are close to disabled people, because often disabled people can't speak for themselves. I think of my, my youngest brother. Um, he, he, he can't, he can't um, express himself. He has a very um, severe mental uh, disability. Um, and, and so, you know, people like my dad or my sister, who are his primary carers, have to speak for him. There, there are different views, it seems, on the spectrum between those, uh, the medical 
the social mm. um i'm thinking of the popular documentary it just came out on netflix recently it was called crip camp did you have i don't know if it's got an audio description version i'm not, I'm not sure no, uh, I, I, I haven't much. seen it it's fantastic a documentary it was i think it was um produced by um, barack and michelle obama they've been funneling loads of money into very um left-leaning social kind of justice kind of documentaries recently but it was about a camp that um was in the mm. 60s and it would bring disabilities uh, disability uh, disabled people people with disabilities i should say um to these summer camps but they basically were given free reign they weren't treated as any less than they made the decisions what are we going to do what do you want yeah. they would like sit around and they'd smoke pot and play guitar like they were just given like free reign it was very hippie driven um but that documentary followed the the movement of um the disability rights act and how it kind of originated most of the people that were very outspoken in that originated from this camp early in the 60s um and so it's a fascinating uh, momentum but so there there's a a strong shift towards look society is in some sense the 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 mechanism which disables um but there is also um a very strong voice still there of well yes and there is a physical condition which also disables um Mm. within christianity there, there seems to be kind of a position that I've seen kind of across the spectrum of some people going, yes, of course, people who are um, not uh, neurotypical, for example, are entirely welcome as they are. And, and that's great. And that's whatever. But then other people saying, well, yes, but on some level, this affects their lifestyle and should we heal them? I, a great example might be the deaf community, um, which is very mm. much often a, a strong community in itself. It finds a lot of identity in its, um, in it, in, in the, the fact, that they can't hear in in a in a typical sense in a, in a common sense um, and actually uh, there's i've heard stories when i was in the charismatic world almost a cautionary tale about praying for people that are deaf because i heard a story um from that was shared i think it was a testimony of someone that was deaf that got healed and um, whatever people believe about healing listening to this and then didn't really have their community anymore they kind of lost their community they, they didn't mm-hmm. integrate in the community anymore um do, do you have do do you think that it is an either or within this conversation that that the medical model is kind of on the way out and we're going to start embracing the social model or do do you think there's it's a bit more complex than that? I I I, I don't know. I'm mean, I'm very ignorant in this world, so I'm intrigued to hear what you think about that. Uh, it's an interesting question. Um, as I look at the church, I just find myself thinking. The medical model isn't going anywhere soon. You know? it's, right. There's this. It, it it it's it'll be dominant despite what people say. Um, and you know, as you were talking, you were talking about the that particular group of people given their freedom. Mm. You know, of course, we're focused on what society and what others do to disabled people and this is where i'll get controversial with disabled people is have we done enough to help ourselves Mm. we are the cinderella it's fair to say of the liberation uh, justice areas and part of that is because we haven't been coherent in in the sense that actually within the disability world there's been rivalry right 
between different types. Uh, and certainly I know amongst blind people, there is this wrongly, in my opinion, held idea that people who are wheelchair users are the dominant people and everybody else is other. Mm. So you've even got othering within the disability movement. Sure. Almost like a ranking or something. Is that kind of... Ranking, deserving and undeserving. Mm. Uh, and, of course, COVID's split that right open with all this vulnerability and non-vulnerability. They use that sort right. of terminology. Now, uh, I wasn't classed as vulnerable, but I was made vulnerable by the fact that I couldn't get my own shopping when I wanted to or use the online facilities because other people were snagging it up. So then it became who's more deserving than others. So I thought, I'm falling into this cesspit here. Mm. So we haven't helped our case by othering one another. We don't have the history that race campaigns do. There's no MLK Mm. (laughs) figure. Uh, There are a lot of uh, very good figures, uh, particularly in the world of academia, but there, there isn't that history. Oh, there are stories to be told, but there isn't that history. And because most of those of us who were born with something were until the mid-80s institutionalized. Yeah. So I was sent away to a special school, for example, mm. uh, where, where I had to stay. And for, fortunately, I went home at weekends. But a lot of folk didn't. <laughs> you know, terms spread away from their family, which creates mm. all sorts of other dysfunctions. Yeah. But it then and then you you know, all your needs, you know, are needs of equipment until recently were provided by charity. Mm. And it was charities that helped you out. So you're you you're in this world, not only were you institutionalized, but you're the sort of subject of charity. Now, of course, church feeds into that. Because <laughs> you know, we are the greatest charitable thing going, and and mm. we we offer a charity mode to people in a rather old-fashioned way, where even within charities, within mission organisations, those who are doing farming and agricultural uh, work, for example, are, are enabling people to do it themselves. Mm. You know, it's, it's enablement rather than charity, right? And so I think sometimes as disabled people, we've we've settled for charity when we should have been asking for enablement. Hmm. Maybe because we didn't know any better. And I think as eyes are opened within the disability field, that actually it's enablement that's, that's required, hmm. uh, uh, not charity. Yeah. And if any charity is involved, the church needs to be enabling people. Mm-hmm. not doing for people so you know that then raises you know the whole pastoral care system within churches is modeled yeah. on sh- shepherd sheep nothing nothing yeah. in essence wrong with that it's one metaphor among a, a whole myriad of others but isn't all pastoral care about enablement yeah but the trouble is when you're trying to when you do you know yes you're there yes you're the safety i'm not saying that you, you know you don't put the work in and all the rest of it but your your goal is enablement enabling people mm. to reach their god-given destiny yeah. uh, and uh, i was reminded of a lovely quote by, by somebody called james finley who uh, 
works one of with the center of action and contemplation that uh, love right. is our origin our ground and our destiny mm. so surely as churches we enable people to fulfill their destiny which is to learn how to love yeah and in doing so that's when we iron out all the the stuff that's been chopped at us the stuff yeah. that we've imbibed but we're enabling folk to be free yeah that's in every level church still the pastoral thing is 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 oh, what the other word i used instead of enabling <laughs> doing for charity charity yeah we still do things too charitably yeah rather than enabling people yeah no, that, that's really interesting. That was a, one of the main kind of um, themes of the, the documentary. My wife and I saw, and I just thought, gosh, this is such a, um, mm. it was just phenomenal to see people that were, I mean, I don't, I don't come across the movement um, standing up and, and, and demanding of society a better standard, a better um, uh, position of equality today never mind what they were doing in the the it was about the mid 80s i believe maybe late 80s and it was only into the 90s that it really kind of came about um that was a heyday in american uh, disability history mm. 80s and 90s and it was sort of was here i think we've gone backwards slightly right yeah yeah but it's, it's just it's they were heady days yeah yeah well it's just incredible to see people going look I'm not looking for your charity. I'm not looking for an, like a little handout. What I want is to be able to, and you saw people rise to positions of political power. You saw people, you know, um, in the Senate, in the house, you know, doing, uh, giving amazing speeches and persuading powerful politicians. And, uh, and, and you go, that is what should be the right of any citizen of a country is to make their voice yes. heard and to be represented well and equally. Um, and yet, generally speaking, up until then, gosh, you were lucky if we put you in an institution and just made sure you didn't die. That was that was kind of our base default. Uh, and I was yes. like, oh my god, I, I, you know. And and the dates on these things shock. I remember going online and looking up when the the first kind of disability act in the UK was. Afterwards, I can't remember the date now. And I was I was appalled. You know, because I was utterly. But again, it's not my world. So I, I couldn't believe it was so late, though. You know, it's just like, gosh, well, this is, this feels like it's decades and decades after it should have been. It was still the 50s and 60s, even in this country, that unmarried women yeah. who were having babies were institutionalized. It's not that far back. It's crazy. And I think in some senses, as appalled as we are by so many of the, the inequalities and, and problems that we face in our society, especially in so many of them seeming to reemerge in the last kind of decade or so, um, I think that is a deeply encouraging thing to me sometimes as well to go, gosh, how far we've come at the same time. Um, we yeah. have moved a great deal forward. And while there's so many holding us back, there is still so much momentum. Is that something that you've seen? You mentioned, you know, only it was a few years um, when uh, someone within the Baptist Union was saying to you, mm -hmm. we are so sorry mm -hmm. that we've, re we've realized the way we dealt with you was very unhelpful, not very professional, not very equal. It was, it was, it was, discriminatory um is that a thing that you are seeing change in the church as much as you're discouraged by maybe society as a whole and um and you want to see change have you seen um a, yeah. a great change to be fair i have uh, because because i'm a leader mm. and i put myself about a bit maybe i should phrase that differently <laughs> uh, 
I take every opportunity to be an influencer. Uh, I mean, you know, I, I understand very well why so many of your I mean I'm in I'm in your groups you know mm. you send me the mm-hmm. you send me the emails I, I I you know I give my few quid a month <laughs> so I know the, <laughs> the, the sort of people you're uh you're, you're with and I know why they've left church I've chosen yeah. to stay because of a cussed awkward sod uh, <laughs> I don't I don't have the wounds to be fair I don't I don't I don't have the wounds and if I do yeah. they're so they're so deep it, you know, don't know. Yeah. I don't have them, right? So you know, so I, I mean, I choose to stay in because I have not. I think, well, maybe I'm just a masochist, but I think that you know, these things can be sorted <laughs> out. But I do see changes. Yeah. I do see sea changes, mm. and it's linked with people's changes as how they understand God too. Yeah. So yes, I did deliberately. Seek positions on, uh, so, yeah, I was on the Baptist Union Governing Council for a while. I didn't do much for the first few years, but I was just present, mm. like a bad smell. You know? <laughs> but being present, you then make friendships, and then friendships lead to other network. So as friendships were developed, see, friendship is 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 the word. Mm. <laughs> uh, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, 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 if friendship's the cure. If you've got to, have, if you've got to be, if a cure, make friends. Once I started making friendships, then they started getting into networks. And then, you know, mm. you, you know I played, the, yes, I did. All right, I played the game. But I knew what I was doing. I didn't go into it blindly. I thought, well, yeah. you know, I knew who the people were to press. <laughs> and, and so I did. And, you know, my peers have never had a problem with me. Yeah. Uh, you know, in, in, in ministers' gatherings and stuff. They've never had a problem with me. You go to academic gatherings, they don't have a problem with me. Because, you know, the same people, <laughs> you know, it just organically happens through friendship. You've just got to yeah. get to the place where the friendships happen, and that's where, that's, where, that's where it doesn't happen. So there is a sea change, but a lot of that's also to do with the sea change of how people perceive God. Yeah, you know, there are, the spirit is blowing in two different directions in this country at the moment. There are the old, they are the ones who are longing for old-fashioned revival. You know, mm-hmm. and they'll claim their evidence. But I think in movements such as yours. And others, the spirit's still blowing. Mm-hmm. There's this discontented, <laughs> angry, hurt group of people are getting their message through. <laughs> mm. And those and those like me who deliberately might I say straddle both worlds. Although, you know, I don't have the hurt. I want to I want to hear the hurt. I want to feel it. <laughs> yeah. So that I could do something about it. Yeah. Uh, so you know, it's, it's maybe not the right way to go about it, but I just want to absorb. Well, I think because the spirit's blowing through people like that, I think yeah. you're showing us a different sort of God, and I think folk are catching on. Yeah. So the seed change is coming through 
through the changing attitudes because people like me are putting themselves about a bit yeah. but it's also coming through people's particularly those who are a bit younger and more open people a lot of folk there's a lot of dissatisfaction with the old ways of seeing god mm. uh, it's just leaders aren't brave because aren't, they're frightened you know, we're, we're frightened we're going to get our living taken away for goodness sake yeah it's very understandable, <laughs> very understandable. But, you know, i am sitting in a room that is provided for me mm. you know step too yeah. much out of line you're out yeah, of the street. You won't be on the room. <laughs> there's no room at all. Uh, it's a, you know that's a but there's there's all sorts of folk mm. who approach me and say, my my Facebook page is 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 an open book, mm. and there are all sorts of folk finding their way to to to, to me who are looking for that. You know, we thought we were alone. Mm, yeah. <laughs> we thought we were by ourselves and so this sea change as far as disability and every other uh, justice issue is happening because people are changing and, and are opening themselves up to a different sort of god yeah it's definitely a huge movement there's, there's no question about it i i spent about 10 years kind of straddling as well and so uh, as someone that knows how difficult that can be uh, uh i i honestly take my hat off to you and think Thank you so much, because I think there is a deep, deep need for people that are aware of um, what this looks like for those that end up othered, what this looks like for those that are shifting radically and aren't at home in the church anymore or whatever that looks like. But there is a need for the change within. And I think and I think many churches will change. Um, I think many churches won't change as well. And they'll, they'll probably die, honestly, give them, a, you know, 50 years and they probably won't be around or there'll be a lot fewer. Um, but I do think a lot of churches will change. I mean, history has taught us that churches change, you know? Um, and, and so I, I think it's really important that we have people like yourself. You, you mentioned um, the Center for Contemplation and Prayer, like uh, and Contemplation and Action, the Richard Bros uh, movement. Yeah. He's a great example of someone that he talks about being on the edge of the circle. So he's still in the circle, but he's right on the edge. And it's like, where can I, how can I still influence the circle? How can I still be a part of the circle? But I'm so close to the edge. I'm also helping people on the out. And I'm even helping some people move from one side of the circle to the other, um, whichever direction they need to go. It's okay. Um, and, and I think it's important to have people like that. People that act I think I'm most. I think I'm the most comfortable I've been all my life. Mm. in terms of my relationship with the church i no longer that's beautiful uh, i'm no longer involved with the governing things of a denomination now yeah i think i'm at a position where i don't need to do that i don't need to play the game i'm better off on the edge yeah uh, i i want to be at the margin <laughs> yeah no that's it's beautiful uh, and i really love it i, lo I so appreciate people like yeah a good it's... place to be and, and so i do gather around me the people who influence me mm. The people I befriend these days, <laughs> virtually, yeah. who are speaking into my life are those who are on the edge too. That's beautiful. It's really beautiful. So, yeah. I, I want to be sensitive to your time. We've probably got at most another kind of 20, 15 minutes, but I, I'd love for um, you to maybe share some. So I'm sure there's people that were listening along to this thinking, gosh, this is a world that I am not aware of, or this is a world I want to, if I have been somewhat aware of, I want to be a lot more aware of. How can I do better? Um, people that are 
within the church, people just generally. Um, do you have some resources that you would point people towards that are great um, educational resources and how they can be doing better in dealing with ableism, being aware of disability, um, creating safe places for disability, enabling people uh, who have disabilities rather than just um, uh, offering just that charity? Um, do you think of, uh, you've got any resources that would be top yeah, kind of I, picks I, for I you? Do, um... I think the th before we get to resources, I think the first sort of two, the two big things folk could be doing right away is befriending, <laughs> be a friend, you know, get that word friend into your heads. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, God as friend, everybody as friend, the church as a society of friends. Yeah, I think that's 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 the that's that's one thing I just like you know, gripping <laughs> again. Yeah. And the second thing is ask questions, no matter how embarrassing. Yeah, you know, I would encourage people to ask the questions. Great. How do you have sex? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> you know, however stupid they sound, they're better asked than not asked. Mm. No matter how ridiculous. Be prepared for the odd grumpy person who might give you a bit of feedback. You won't, you won't get any from me. You might get a bit of jovial. It, I, I presume it's best to do those two things in that order. That if you ask someone, yeah. how do you have sex? It's easier if you become a friend to them. I did them in the order that I was trying. <laughs> yeah. Befriend and ask, but don't be embarrassed to ask the questions because mm. people would rather be in you. Not Even if it does bring a bit of embarrassment, people would ask you, you know, now in terms of resources, mm. I don't know so much about the American scene, really, if most of your audience are American. Well, a good portion of, but I, I am, I'm sure that uh, there'll be a... But in this country, I mean, the, 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 I mentioned the, uh, the, there are a couple of things. There's, a, there's an organisation called Disability and Jesus disability and jesus you you type those into a search engine hmm. they come up on twitter and they come okay. up on facebook mainly on twitter it's great to interact with them because they are the people who've left church wow or if they are in church they're very much on the margins so yeah. they've gathered up a lot of angry people Mm, that clergy folk like me can't touch because mm. of course we're, we're sometimes seen as the enemy too <laughs> and, uh, because we've sold our souls to the system mm -hmm. uh, and so that so they've gathered around themselves this you know this this group uh, and just to hear their stories to hear the pain is just yeah. is just an exercise uh, that, that you know i treat myself to every now and then uh, in case I get smug, you know, I, I, just to remind myself, there are the folks that aren't reached who are angry and hurting. And, yeah. And they do produce a lot of good down to earth resources, right. disability and Jesus. Great. Uh, the, the other place, I, two others I'd, I'd visit. Okay. The second place I'd connect with uh, is, I mentioned earlier on, I'm uh, privileged enough to chair the, the network called uh, Churches for All, and its website is www.churchesforall.org. www.churchesforall.org. There you will have 
links to resources, to charities and other groups. It's the one-stop shop for everything in Britain to do with Christianity and disability. Right. It will take you to the places where you want to go. That's www.churchesforall.org. Right. And the third one, particularly for people who are in the learning disability uh, autistic spectrum, is another, another online. Now, the, 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 here is, of course, the more or less the common thread is online that actually this new movement is being mobilized online. There's something to be said about that, you know, the, the, the ex-church movement, uh, which is why I like hanging, hanging out in sites like yours, <laughs> is, uh, is, is this online, I think, whatever else one wants to leave behind by church, there's still a thirst for community. There is, absolutely. And I think the online stuff is quenching that thirst. Mm. Uh, and like every movement, you know, it's start. It's got to have the angry phase. You've got to have the immature rage phase. Mm-hmm. Uh, every, every, every. Instead of new monastic communities, I'm very interested in new monastic scene. That every you know, new, new monasticism is a is is immature. Mm. Yet seeking grounding, it's recognizing that immaturity, anger, all that is the phases that must be held and must not be suppressed. But there must always be the opening that they will eventually transcend. They have to start with that. I'm rambling. Uh, The third one is another online grassroots movement. And it's called the Additional Needs Alliance. And they operate mainly off Facebook. And it was set up by activist parents and disabled people, but people in that sort of, uh, you know, uh, autistic and other spectrum. And it just gathers momentum and they do a lot of training too. Uh, And uh, I, uh, yes, uh, they're, they're a good place to go to, Additional Needs Alliance as well right. so they'd, they'd be the places certainly i'd go to in this country uh right no, that's that's wonderful I'll, I'll make sure to leave notes in the uh, show notes to links to those uh, uh different things and but so if people are interested in tracking with you and and what you do um do you are you active on social media do you want is there a place that you would recommend people kind of track to follow yeah. you to message you anything like that well, there's, at the moment, I've just got my own FB page, which is Glenn C. Graham. Okay. And it has a picture of dog on. <laughs> so if a dog asks you to be your friend, it's me. Um, <laughs> uh, that's the main place. I do have a Twitter account, but it's a much more private one I share with my wife. Which, uh, okay. I don't want all the on Sunday. And there is a Churches for All Facebook page. Okay. Uh, and there is the Baptist, uh, the Baptist Union Disability Justice Group page as well uh i suspect that in time i'll i'll i I am developing in time a platform on patreon okay nice so if ever i leave the church formally (laughs) i'm i'm looking into setting up a place where i do online teaching on matters of faith bible uh philosophy history disability stuff uh celtic new monastic stuff uh 
contemplative stuff. Um, uh, all of that would be included coaching. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to establish a coaching and, and a spiritual directing group. And when that does go running, we call Enabling Pilgrim. And that actually, that awesome. title, that title sums me up, really. What You asked what I was about. I should have come up with this right at the beginning. I, if ever I set myself up in business, it will, it will call itself Enabling Pilgrim. Because whether it's ministry, whether it's in a church, whether it's spiritual direction, whether it's life coaching, whether it's teaching and lecturing, it's all about enabling people. I love that. I love the image of of us being pilgrims because it's so open-ended. It's so wild, adventurous. Uh, the destination doesn't count for how you get there. Is as is as equal. It's it's unsettled. It's always full of churn. Mm. It's always full of what's the next thing. Uh, so what I'm about is helping folk along their pilgrimage and enabling them to be the people who they were meant to be, and that we would learn love because love is our origin, love is our ground, and love is our destination. It's beautiful. It's a great place to land to me. That sounds amazing to me. Absolutely. So you need to let me know when you do launch your Patreon and I'll, I'll definitely give that a plug as well. Thank um, you. So keen to keep you in that room, you know? Um, yeah. So. <laughs> but that's, that's beautiful. And well, in time, I want to say we re- in time, I want to say we retire and uh, just keep my fingers in the pie. Yeah. Absolutely. I'm doing some local work, but mainly, you know, yeah. I'm thinking that there will come a time when, <laughs> there'll come a time when my energy will be well you know i really want to do do i really want to do the things i'm passionate about and that is really the spiritual directing the teaching yeah uh, and and the uh all the sort of justice stuff and i, I am working with uh just uh two or three weeks time where, where a group of us are doing some uh we've managed to get all the national baptist area leaders into one zoom room for some racial training (laughs) and they've asked me to come along to be part of it uh and and you know because everybody says i'm colorblind you know know, when you're trying to be when you're trying to be woke about these things i'm colorblind i'm doing a bit i actually am colorblind but i'm not yeah, <laughs> about how other ways you you know actually isn't necessarily colour that can trigger other narratives do. So I'm trying to get them mm. to get below the surface that they thought would be great. <laughs> so you know all that sort of, that's where the passions are. Yeah, uh, you know I began ministry local church. I thought that was that was it. That was all that was all one could and should do. But the, the trouble is life has moved on and. Uh, <laughs> who knows where things are going to take one but uh, we are where we are and uh, it's exciting very exciting exciting yeah wonderful well glenn uh, gosh i really appreciate you taking the time to chat i really do um it's, it's been you. a real privilege um it's been enlightening very educational for me right from the offset you, you set about and educating me on my own tradition as well so growing up in the baptist church i didn't know half of it so uh it's, no, actually, it's very- actually a model you know, this is what i do this is this is <laughs> you know what what if you were in my front room now this is how i deal with you 
<laughs> well, we would have this, if you came around to my house, we would have had this conversation. But this is what I love. People are like, oh, how do you have these podcast conversations? I'm like, this is what I would do. If we went out to the pub with any other people on the podcast show, this is the conversation we'd have on the whole, maybe slightly adapted to explain to an audience here or there. But the, I, the I have these that, conversations the either way. The missing was the scotch. <laughs> I know, I know. Well, if it wasn't, uh, you know, two in the afternoon, we, a lot of my podcasts I end up doing with um, people on the West Coast of America and I'll book it in at like midnight my time. Um, so scotch might be a bit more palatable then, but two in the afternoon, not quite. I'm up late. I could have done you at midnight. I should have thought of that. Oh, there you go. So we'll have you back on at some point. We'll do a midnight session. Midnight hour. Get some scotch out. Yeah. All right. Well, that was Glenn Graham. Man, I loved chatting with Glenn. What a fascinating guy. What a lovely guy. Um, and so informative, so kind, so gracious, um, and uh, and just doing incredible work uh, across the board in all that he's doing. And so, yeah, do keep an eye out for his um, his upcoming kind of Patreon thing and what he's going to be doing there. Um, I think he said it was going to be called Enabling uh, Pilgrim. Um, and so, yeah, that might be worth keeping an eye out um, if you're wanting to um, educate yourself a bit more in some of those areas uh, or, and, and support what he's doing as well. Um, Glenn.c.graham on Facebook, uh, if you want to connect with him personally. Um, he talks about the disability in Jesus on Facebook and Twitter. I'll leave notes to these, uh, links to these in the, in the notes for the, the podcast, obviously, um, as well. So you should be able to find them and click them. The, the churchesforall.org um and the additional needs alliance on uh on facebook as well um yeah do check out those resources i think this is a it's a really important topic and i think it's a topic that is glossed over in a very big way um for most christians and and i don't think we do see the damage that um that can happen when we when we do um when we're ignorant of this or or even when we're actively um quite aggressively against uh certain disabilities and and and, um things like that and so yeah a huge huge topic thanks for listening guys do get in touch with glenn and let him know you love that i'm sure he'd be delighted to hear that um people enjoyed the, the the chat and uh if you are deconstructing as always check out the deconstruction network a great place to meet other people who are deconstructing in your local area um a really helpful tool for a lot of us that are going through deconstruction often it can be very lonely and so that's a great way to try and meet some new people in your area people that are going through similar journeys uh might not believe everything the same but certainly um deconstructing in a similar uh trajectory and and, and way um and i think when we start deconstructing what we believe becomes a lot less important in some ways it's much more the fact that we're on a journey of uh changing our beliefs is is something if we can just find someone that's like that and has makes space for that and is gracious towards that that can be a huge thing um, and so, yeah, do check out the deconstructionnetwork.com and check out thegracecourse.com. It's um, where I dump all my videos, my educational kind of videos um, on human psychology, on the Bible, on different theological topics, um, introductory topics, more in-depth uh, series like uh, my series on homosexuality or my series on Romans. Um, there's loads of stuff there. It's all free. Um, you can support what I'm doing through thegracecourse.com as well. That's a really huge thing. If 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 you have uh, appreciated any of the resources that I'm putting out for free and would like to support what I'm doing, um, just a simple 
excuse me, just choked to myself. Um, just a simple gift of five bucks a month or something like that can make a huge difference. It really does. Um, you know, this is entirely um, free what I do, everything I do, and I do it full time. I spend, you know, four or five hours a day talking with people and helping people who are deconstructing. And the rest of the time I'm spending putting out resources, helping people um, in different ways. And so recording these podcasts are ever, ever uh, lengthening. This is what, two hours. So yeah, <laughs> recording a few of these a week does add up as well, and not to mention editing and all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, I, I, I don't have time to, to work another job. And so uh, it's solely off donations that I, I get by. And so people that are able to do that, I really appreciate. If you're not able to do that, awesome. There is zero requirement for you to give. I want you to appreciate and, and enjoy everything I do for free. That's why they're free for people that aren't in a capacity to pay for things and, 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 and buy things. And so, yeah, there you go. So the deconstruction network, the grace um, and obviously check out all those resources in the show notes that, um, Glenn mentioned as well. And I'll see you in the next episode. Ciao guys. <laughs>